GM everyone, welcome to Flywheel, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, well, you come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave here with Capital K, and we are here to help you harness the power of the Flywheel. And this time we go to the trader and culture part of the Flywheel with Mr. Monkey Rothschild. We go into Wasis, we go into trading, we go into risk. Ed, we go into size. Kit, what do you think of this one? Can you give a little preview? Uh, I, I think the the listener should really pay attention to how he, how, how well rounded he is, and how thoughtful he is about certain situations that happens kind of across crypto, and how he factors in the uh, culture bit of it, the the DAO, like all the other participants, and also kind of how it reacts onto the charts in the markets. I think he has a really good holistic view of the markets. Yeah, I concur. I mean, I know his name has Monkey, but as a man, he really embodies the statement, know thyself. And if you want to get to know a little bit more about DeFi, a little bit more about Frax, and a little bit about everything in between, make sure you hit that bell button. Subscribe, leave us a comment, give us a like, you know. Follow us on Twitter, at FlywheelDefi. Follow us on Telegram. Join that group. Join the conversation, at FlywheelDefi. Make sure to follow me on Twitter, at DeFiDave22. And follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And you know what I'm going to say. Let's get the flywheel spinning, folks. Do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, Frax ETH is there for you. Frax ETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into Frax ETH today. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Flywheel Pod. Today we have on the legend himself, Monkey Rothschild. And Monkey, <laughs> th- thank you for coming on. Uh, right before the pod, we were actually discussing, uh, you know, at the same time as this, you know, of us starting, CRV USD just launched. No announcement, no hype, no nothing. I mean, yes, there was a lot of anticipation for it, but everyone's like, oh, like, yeah, yeah, it's coming eventually. You know, all the, it felt like E2 staking, but for like CRV USD. But now it launched. There was no announcement or nothing. And uh, you were saying that you're a fan of this kind of, you know, strategy of rolling out a product and then going back into the cave. Uh, could you explain your thinking there? Yeah. So, you know, I kind of, one thing I noticed um, when you've kind of like set a deadline and you're working towards it is that people can just get so flustered and kind of like overwhelmed and, you know, you're dealing with things from the community. And so, you know, one thing that we've implemented kind of in Wasiverse, which, you know, I'm sure we'll get into more, um, is just kind of like, you know, people know what we're working on, but we don't really tease any dates, nothing like that. Once we've got something to the point where we're really happy with it and it's, you know, our definition of perfect, then we go ahead and drop it. So, you know, I don't know uh, on something like CRV USD you know, the specific dynamics that they're dealing with coming into launch. But I know that like, if you want to get something right and you, you don't want to stress out your team, you don't want to not sleep for three days. I think it's a good way to do it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And Frax actually operates in the same manner. They'll just, you know, release things like out of nowhere. And then us at Flywheel, I was like, oh, oh no, they, they dropped Frax <laughs> Oh no, the, Frax seats, we got to get a special rolling right now. Right, right, and, right. And, but it's like, it's really cool that, you know, that, it comes from the community, like from us and from like other people, like doing the hype for the team. Like the team shouldn't have to do much themselves. Like all they're doing is building. They have their heads down in their building and let the community do this talking in an organic manner. 
Not 100%. I think that's the healthy way it should be. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you mentioned Wasiverse, and I actually have my Wasi. He's, he's over there. He's staring at me on the other side <laughs> of the room. Hold on, let me run and go get him. Hold on one sec. Yeah. I mean, well, while Dave runs and get a monkey, could you briefly tell the people one liner? What is the Wasiverse? So Wasiverse um, is a set of 3D rigged characters created by Inverse Bra, me, and the whole team. Uh, and it really is just kind of embodies the whole lore of like the crypto Twitter of Wasi. I don't know if that was a long run on sentence. But, um, you know, what let's, are Wasi? Let's, let's wait, let's get the lore of the crypto Twitter Wasi of this little guy right here. So, I mean, you know, it's a loaded question, right? But I mean, as the story goes, Maru back in the day um, created the first Wasi, which was that purple one. And, uh, um, you know, just started using it. And then it was like um, Wasserpest was obviously like the first name. And then Wasi was just kind of like the shortened version of it. Uh, and then Inverse Bra followed on. I think Poet, actually, Grinding Poet, was another one of like the really early Wasis. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually didn't even know that until recently, but he runs some of our socials for Wasiverse. Mm. Um, so, I mean, they're just these little mischievous characters that run around the internet. Um, you know, on bearish days, people really like to assault them. Uh, but on <laughs> when the markets are going well, like people tend to love them. It, you know, that's actually a pretty good little sentiment gauge is how much Wasi abuse is there on the timeline. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Honestly, his facial, facial expression is kind of unsettling. He like knows that it's coming. He knows that when, when the downturn comes that he's fucked. <laughs> no, he really does. I have the funniest video of that in your back pocket and you're kind of like dancing uh, and he's just like <laughs> swinging around and it's so funny. I need to post <laughs> Oh yeah, that was at uh, the uh, Eat Tokyo happy hour back a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, yeah, both, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a great event. And then we had that legendary pod with the uh, Honeycast fellas and Zorin friends. Um, what'd you think of that whole event and what'd you think of Eat Tokyo in general? That event was awesome. Um, I mean, you know, for me, it was more about just like reconnecting with a bunch of people that I already knew, but that's always a pleasure to do. You know, these people I see a couple times a year at events like that. And uh, mm -hmm. that event was like a really well curated list of people. Um, I, yeah. I really enjoyed my time there. And ETH Tokyo as a whole was just awesome. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I guess on maybe like more of a personal note, I got I, into like a train of thought while I was there. And it's something that I think maybe we don't take um, appreciation for, but the way that we're able to travel where, you know, I went with one friend to, to Japan, but then, you know, we knew 50 or a hundred people that were all there. And so, Oh yeah. You're kind of on a trip with one person and, and you don't need to coordinate every living thing, but there's also the benefits of like being on a large group trip. Um, and as I was like telling people about my trip to Japan, I realized like that's really unique and, and really cool that we're able to do that. Oh yeah. Talk about decentralized, you know, whether it's like all the random group chats or like the different events that are happening, like everything kind of just flows naturally and just kind of bubbles up naturally, whether it's like, you know, random meetup or, an, or like a planned event or a Milady rave or this and that, like, and everybody just like coalesces around these shilling points. And I have to agree with you. It's like, I think it's the people that make it. Like there was such a cool crew that like came out to Japan. Um, everybody was like, you know, cause if you made it out to Japan, you like really went out of your way to go to the other side of the world. And, you know, I think that was the best part, just like hanging out and, catching up with old friends and meeting new people. Yeah. No, I, I, I love seeing like the same people in different continents. It's always, <laughs> it's always just a cool vibe. Mm -hmm.
It's like I go up to like people, like my friends are like, you know, whether it's like Voltron or Zor or whoever or Zach. I'm like, yo, what city, what number city is this now? Is this like a five, six? It's like we're incredibly fortunate, like that, you know, we live in an industry, we live and work in an industry that like allows us to do this stuff. No, I completely agree. I think I've gotten more thankful for it as the years have gone on. Yeah. What has, what was your highlight of Japan that was outside of crypto socializing stuff? Like, did you get to explore it all? Did anything stand out to you? Yeah, I loved Kyoto. Uh, Kyoto. Oh, you went to Kyoto after? No, before, actually. Oh, you went, oh before, before. Yeah. yeah, we landed in Tokyo, uh, took a bullet train to Osaka, did two days, Kyoto, two days, and then back to um, Tokyo. But Kyoto was just like, we were there right at the, uh, like right at the peak of the cherry blossoms. Oh, uh, yeah. Did some like onsens and, you know, really just kind of like, I don't know if it sounds bad, but like stereotypical Japanese stuff that like you would imagine when you think of Japan. For me, that was very much Kyoto, uh, like just like really cool, like Japanese hotels and things like that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I was able to explore up north and catch the cherry blossoms up there. It wasn't like a big city like Kyoto or anything, but it was a, a small, quaint samurai town. Did the onsen, did the cherry blossoms. And yeah, it's such a unique place, like a lot like. They really have been able to, you know, preserve their culture, especially in these uh, modern times. Yeah, that's what struck me is like one, how homogenous they are just like as a culture. And then two, how much it seems like their culture has really stayed unchanged for seemingly like a long time. Yeah, for sure. And now like, let's roll back a bit. Let's, let's actually go back to the past. Let's go to the inception of Mr. Monkey Rothschild. How did monkey become to be like why'd you where did monkey where did Rothschild come from like yeah everybody knows the Rothschilds and blah 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 but like is it monkey because you're like at the computer like going at it like a monkey like what is the story behind the name so honestly you know the monkey part might not be as uh as exciting as you'd hope I really just like monkeys I just think they're funny and they're just like <laughs> you just really just like monkeys up to something. uh but the Rothschild thing you know it actually kind of goes into like how I got into crypto um mm-hmm. and you know I read this book when I was pretty, I don't know. I read this book a while ago and it was called uh, the creature from Jekyll Island. And so I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Because I, yeah. Cause of first central bank, like, you know, the whole plan and down, you know, allegedly, allegedly Jekyll Island was built on an Indian burial. I think you knew that. Yeah. No, I don't even know if I did. I mean, it was years ago. I read the book, but, um, Dude, so long story short, you know, the first chapter of that book, I think, is just like so good. Um, It kind of reads like a drama, but, you know, supposedly it's a historical kind of documentation or whatever. But so, you know, when I read that book, you know, it started to shine light on the dollar. And and really, I'm like, I always tell people I'm a big believer. You're trading the dollar more than you're trading Bitcoin. And obviously, that's not like literally true, but Bitcoin is just digital nothing. Um, digital nothing, not digital yeah, value. It's, it's digital nothing. <laughs> it's for scarce digital nothing. You know, what I mean, like it really, it doesn't do much besides move from me to you to whoever. It's a uh, meme. But yeah, there you go. But like, regardless, <laughs> that book kind of, you know, it got me thinking more about the dollar. And then when I ended up kind of really like rubbing up against crypto, I was like, well, you know, maybe this is the solution to, to the whole problem that's kind of like laid out in that book and mm-hmm. you know, that I learned about more through other research. And so that's kind of like one thing that I, I try to tell people. And it's, you know, there's a lot of different reasons you might get involved in crypto. And unfortunately, like a lot of people get involved because they have a friend who got rich and they want to get rich too. 
And those people mm-hmm. just very, very often lose money. Um, but I think and they that, don't stick around and they don't stick around. Yeah. You know, it, it's hard to, to make money when you don't know why you're here. Right. But if you really understand the dollar and you really understand like the problem um, and the problems with fiat currency and the potential solution that like crypto involves, I think you, you kind of know why you're here. You're here for the right reasons. And over time you will do pretty well. Um, but I think yes. that having that, that like kind of, knowledge and understanding of why this was created and why it's important, I think is really important to making money. So in your own words, what is your why? Why are you here? Why'd you stick around? Why have you been through all the booms and busts and crazy volatility that comes with crypto over the years? I think, you know, the reality is, is that I'm pretty family oriented guy. And like, um, the whole goal for me is take care of the family, people you love, uh, that's just kind of like what a man does. And I think that, you know, a part of being able to take care of the people you love is having like some level of control or freedom. Uh, and I don't really enjoy outsourcing that control to Jerome Powell, as nice of a guy as he is. Um, you know, and so for me, it's just a, a vehicle. It started as a vehicle just to store wealth, like, and, you know, one day give it to my family, provide for my family. Uh, but it became a way to like be a part of something that I view as, uh, really kind of just like the next generation of, of commerce. Um, and, and there's a way to explain that that I think is really cool. And I think more people should honestly use this uh, kind of like summary. And it kind of, it goes on. And this is not my original thing. I, I watched this. Sorry about that. I watched this or, uh, or read it somewhere a long time ago. But it's basically that crypto is like the third evolution of trust. So the first evolution of trust was local things. You know, we lived in a small village. I borrowed something from you. We did some sort of deal, but it was based off of our face and it was based off of our just reputation. Um, After that, we created institutions. So there was a bank in the middle. Um, You know, I would go deposit from the bank or to the bank and then you would go borrow from it. So, you know, that took care of some of the issues of just like peer to peer lending and things like that. Uh, but it also like it, it introduced a lot of issues. And then so you could argue that this is really only in, in the human world, like the third evolution of trust, where it allows decentralized actors to kind of like unite in distrust um, and not trust any central parties. So that's why I think um, it's like such a major thing and, and why I've ended up dedicating so much time to it. I really like that take. And then I feel like the third, you know, uh, evolution of trust kind of goes back to the first evolution of trust as well, because the first evolution of trust was peer to peer. That was peer to peer. It was peer to peer at this personal in real life face level. And then as you know, society scaled, you needed institutions in place to be those clearing houses and to make sure that transactions went through. And, you know, I'd love to say that America was built on contracts. Like that's how, that's how America came to be. And the modern world is built on contracts. And now with, this like third adage of a you know way of trust. You have smart contracts, <laughs> and we have this decentralized world, um, and we're kind of like returning back to that, but like with with the uh, extra caveat with the uh, cryptography added in. So very well said. Thank you. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Yeah, Kit, how you feeling right now? I'm still kind of stuck on that, that trust point. Like, would you guys think it's kind of like a pendulum swinging back and forth between this? peer-to-peer trust institution and then back to peer-to-peer now and would the fourth Mm. evolution be swinging back to institution 
or where do we go from here from trustlessness you know it's interesting and it's 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 pretty close on to like what you're saying but i used to be a libertarian at least i thought like for a while but you know one thing i've kind of realized about libertarian is like power for the taking will be taken and so like true power in the people's hands and i'm speaking more like governmentally here than like like crypto and like currency but it doesn't really exist because someone will seize that power and take it so where's the pendulum swing i mean I don't know. It's a good question, but I think it's pretty clear. Like America started in a swing of hating the government. <laughs> that's literally yeah. like what America was founded yeah. on. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's an interesting thought. Yeah. To your point about, you know, people will take power if there's an opportunity there to take it. Um, I want to go press on a modern issue of DAOs. And I think when like DAOs first became pop popular, especially, you know, in 2020, 2021, uh, there was this real kumbaya, uh, phase going around saying like, wow, we can do it. We can like all work together equally and peacefully. And um, yeah, there's like, we don't need hierarchies, this and that. But the problem is if you don't have hierarchies, you know, I think humans and just nature in general is hierarchical and like hierarchies will naturally form. And if you don't, you know, have them in, have some structure in place for them, you're going to have bad actors go and take advantage and like take place of those structures that, would have existed anyway, and then manipulate their way through organizations. And I think you saw that time and time again over the last cycle. And a lot of, you know, DAOs and DeFi protocols and almost like entire ecosystems and even entire ecosystems did fall apart because of it. So I think like something like going forward and like having this like, you know, power dynamic in mind is like prepare for hierarchies and like be very aware of them and like help make sure like the incentives are aligned towards your goals as like whether it's like a project or an ecosystem or somewhere in between that like you get your goal you get your shits on you minimize the egos and you like you know you make everyone in the community like feel feel like they're a part of something yeah i think that early on in the dow days um you know a, a lot of the the, the crypto world is, is pretty young and things like that and maybe never worked in like a large organization but you know bringing people together to accomplish a task is, is very much a, a 3D mm -hmm. thing to do. It's not a 1D, very, there's not a simple way to do it. There's not, no, not at all. humans are very complex creatures. And um, yeah, you know, those problems arise. And I think the DAO example is a, a great example. Yeah. And uh, wait, Kip, were you going to say something? I want to add something real quick. No, go ahead. Yeah. So speaking of like DAOs, you know, DAO, all DAOs have treasuries, they have resources, and resources need to be allocated. And, you know, I'm right now, I'm at Zuzalu, and one thing that, has really taken piqued my interest more than usual is public goods and like how do we distribute public goods and but well the government is basically doing the same thing and they've been doing this for like hundreds if not thousands of years and so crypto um offer and actually like there's a lot of experiments happening in crypto that offers like whether it's like retroactive public goods or quadratic funding like they're really experimenting like how do we allocate resources to where to where it needs to be so i'm just like wondering if like you thought about that at all, especially with the way you talk about power and like, are there any ways you like prefer to like allocate resources as a, you know, organization? Um, you know, it's tough because I've certainly like, I have no experience running like a large decentralized organization like that. Um, but I guess like in the case of, you know, something like Wasiverse, which is a lot smaller, um, but you know, similar goals, like similar problems. I think what it comes down to and, but, you know, the truth is Wasiverse 
you know, we've always been very clear, like we kind of lead Wasi verse. It's, it's not a DAO, right? But that yeah. being said, having somebody, you know, like me in this case, who's able to look at everything the community wants, aside what's doable, the best way to do it and execute on it. There's really huge advantages to that. Um, when you start just like voting on things and things get very binary, honestly, I'm just glad I'm not in that position because it's, it's yeah. a really, really tough position to do and, and to do well. Yeah. At the end of the day, not everything has to be a DAO. Yeah. Things are just your organizations. You can have yeah. leaders, you can have like, you know, not every, yeah, not everything has to go up to a vote. Um, I don't, Kit, have you thought about this at all? I mean, especially like yeah. with the DAOs you focus on. Yeah, I actually want to plug in our conversation with Alex um, from uh, well, ex Umami now, mm. but he was oh, mentioning yeah. something about how DAOs, like it initially, um, the whole word DAO is just this overlarging umbrella that encompasses all organization in crypto, period. <laughs> and then period. now we see this kind of like spectrum of, of DAOing kind of coming on. Right. There's like the full blown DAO, like on the maker side where everything needs to be voted. And then, you know, kind of something like what, what you, you're having uh, monkey with, with Wasiverse, where there are very clear structures. You guys are the one on top and you are trying to take the community's will and bring it into life. Right. And it's still fully under your control, but you're still a online crypto organization. So I think the word DAO is going to start breaking down a bit more and have more clearly defined uh, types of DAOs along this spectrum. That's that's the way I'm kind of thinking about it. Yeah, no, that, that seems logical to me. Yeah, I think like there was a, a time where we were calling everything a DAO. You know, I like yeah. I was in Butterfly DAO. Dave, were you in that? I was not in Butterfly DAO, but I've heard about Butterfly DAO. Yeah, and that was just a Twitter group chat. That was just a group. For a while, that's that was a DAO, you know. Is Booba uh, Hub a DAO? I guess it is, you know. I, mean, <laughs> I guess it is. The way you describe it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I and mean, like these things exist across the spectrum. Whether it's like DAOs or especially DeFi, I think DeFi is probably the biggest misnomer uh, when it comes to crypto. Because like, not with De a lot of DeFi protocols, it's like they're not actually one hundred percent decentralized. Nor like. Does everyone like have to be? Um, not everything yeah. has to be like a Uniswap fee. And like going back to um, uh, what we were saying before about the pendulum swinging between like clear, like centralized and decentralized, centralized and decentralized. Well, in a way that is existing in this quantum state along this like spectrum of DeFi, depending on the protocol and depending on like you know what is on chain and what is off chain. Um, and I'm just like wondering what you guys have like thought about that. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think that there's a whole like group of people who think that everything needs to be purist and like decentralized and like, you know, I definitely agree with that when possible, but I think there's compromises that, you know, need to be made in the short term as far as like just, yeah, just compromises really. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I guess like from an idealist standpoint, I, I very much prefer the decentralized things, but like from an investor trader standpoint, you know, you have to kind of just take opportunity where you can. And I think a lot of people like truly over, over however many years I've been doing this, I've seen a lot of people miss out on a lot of money griping about decentralization. You know what I mean? Like Binance Smart Chain is not decentralized. Yeah, well, I'm buying, you know, Shibu Inu token anyway, right? Like who really gives a fuck? So there's, there's a time and place for decentralization, um, but I think it's, it should remain the end goal. 
I don't know if that was exactly the answer you were looking for. Yeah. I have a thought, but Kit, go ahead. I wanted to ask, why does the end goal have to be decentralization? Or did you mean like for everything, the end goal should be decentralization or just the important things? Can you clarify that a little bit? Yeah, I would just say like the important things, like kind of like the backbones um, of it. Like Ethereum, you know, is pretty well and sufficiently decentralized. You know, a true destable, or I'm sorry, decentralized stable coin uh, with high liquidity, you know, those are things I view as real net positives. Yeah, you're getting to my um, next point because, you know, I always, now my whole thing is uh, Frax is a fractal of DeFi and stable coins like are really a microcosm of all of DeFi. And with stable coins, you have the same exact issue, but in this microscope manner because you, stable coins have to contend with this, you know, this trilemma of peg, scalability, and decentralization. And, um, you know, I think all DeFi protocols have to do that in some way as well. But with stable coins, it's, specifically like poignant because of what's at stake, no pun intended. Um, and so like, what's your take on the stablecoin trilemma? Is there like a specific stablecoin you prefer? And if there is, why? And what are your thoughts? And we can get into your th thoughts on Frax later. Yeah, you know, honestly, like just, you know, from a um, like a risk perspective, which is like, you know, how I'm viewing my holdings. I'm not a large user or really a user at all of, any sort of algorithmic stables, um, big USDC fan, I guess that's as lame as that. Are is. you USDC bull? Dude, I guess I am. I mean, I became <laughs> you are, yeah. a couple you months became... ago. I, I had to be one. I was buying as much as I could. Um, we have the I mean, big blue blow, big, blue, big blue bull in the building. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know who cracks me up is like that um, USDC bull account and then like EURC yeah. bull account. Those people. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I love all the bulls. That was a great, um, June with like, when there was just like a rent, like a whole, like sprung of all of them. It was very entertaining to kick off the bear market with a bunch of stable bulls. <laughs> it was spinning. They actually, yeah, they really timed it well, didn't they? Um, yeah. But the truth is, is like, I think that, you know, on the topic of decentralized stable coins, you have to, you know, they really have to become perfect before, 80, 90% of the market uses them. You know what I mean? And so there's such mm -hmm. a huge market there for the taking. Um, and I think that, you know, whenever somebody does get it right, that, that's just a huge, yeah. huge thing. But the reality is, is that, um, you know, I don't like study this stuff in depth. And so my perceived, you know, risk analysis of the whole thing is just better with USDC where like, I know the damn banks they're at. Now, obviously that's all, you know, speaking right now in May 3rd, 2023, banks are not a word for safety, really. Um, <laughs> but like if you're familiar with like at least the banking system in some regard, which I am and I have some some you know close like friends who are very well established, like in the banking world. So I have a level of comfort there. Um, yeah. So would you say that USDC is the risk free asset? of DeFi and your holdings. And that's the reason why you hold it because it's perceived to be the safe haven. That's what I would say. Yeah, it perceives to be the lowest risk. Yeah, so what would it take for like a decentralized stablecoin like Frax or someone else to you know reach that level? Will it just take time? Is it something that has to do with their backing or their reference peg? I think what it is more is it's just like probably one taking the time to understand it on my own personally to get comfortable, 
but before mm -hmm. I'll probably like really give the time and do that liquidity, I think is just kind liquidity. of like really the, you know, the key. Water is life. Water is life. Amen. As, when you're, especially when you're talking stable coins, liquidity is everything, right? Cause you're not looking for upside. You just need one thing. It's liquidity. Guys just want one thing. <laughs> for real, though. <laughs> and it's, and it's disgusting. And it's disgusting. Guys want one thing and it's disgusting. The liquidity is crazy. So, so liquidity. What, what you said, liquidity, like what exactly did you mean? To, can you give us a uh, concrete example? Is that like a TVL in size or is that uh, slippage when conducting a big trade? Like what, what do you mean by liquidity? So I think it's kind of like twofold. One, it's like, I mean, obviously there needs to be liquidity like on, on tether to whatever stable coin, right? Like that's like the base level of it. But then being able to kind of like use it without taking so many routes would be another one, right? Like, look, if I'm, if I'm going to mess around with some DeFi protocol, it's probably tether. It might be USDC, like depending on, you know, if it's Solana, it's probably USDC. Most other chains are pretty much like running off tether. Um, and so I guess liquidity for me is partially like, obviously there needs to be a fat curve pool. Yeah. Um, but also just being able to like use it as a speculator, uh, which, you know, in my reality, that, that's what I am. Um, and, you know, generally if I'm doing some sort of like commerce or paying someone or whatever, uh, you know, everybody wants tether. So that's kind of, I guess what I mean by liquidity. It's, it's half of it's like actual liquidity in a pool and half of it's convenience for like whatever I need to do with it. After talking to you here a bit, I feel like Frax is well on your way to uh, being part of your arsenal, whether in the near future or in some point in the future, for sure. Because you know, it's I'll like be, really, yeah. I have Go too ahead. many smart friends who are bullish on it and, and working on it and stuff. So I need to really jump in. Um, it's just popped up on my radar like a lot. I mean, I've known about it for a while, but over the last couple months, and it's been one of those things I'm like, you know, it's in your head. You need to go learn more. And I just, I haven't. I've just been moving around too well, much. And I feel that as someone that moves around a lot, but you are in the perfect place. You're on the Frax podcast flywheel. There's literally no yeah. better place to learn about it. And we love to talk about it. Yeah. Well, what, what are the needs and knows? I mean, I know it's, I know it's far more than just a stable coin, but explain to me, um, fuck, there was a, there was a part of it I was looking at that I didn't understand. And maybe you can clue me in. What are all the different, um, this is what I was like, FPI and things like that. Explain that to me like I'm 12. Yes. Um, do you want me to take this kid or do you want to take this? Yeah. So before we get into like FPI and Fraxeth um, and all these different stable coins, like, like I, I want to like rewind a little bit. Um, so like I said earlier, I like to think, you know, before Frax is a fractal of all of DeFi. It's literally a microcosm of all of DeFi. And Frax is a protocol that creates decentralized, innovative stablecoins. And then on top of that, they create sub-primitives that support this whole ecosystem of stablecoins. And so you have Frax, which is a dollar peg stablecoin, FPI, which is a CPI peg stablecoin, which is, and then Frax ETH, which is the ETH peg stablecoin. Um, I really like framing uh, Frax, like, back last year when they had the, when the DeFi Trinity was a thing, how this is a DeFi Trinity shirt. And um, the idea behind the DeFi Trinity is like, yeah, you have the AMM. Yeah, you have the money market lending facility, but they're not actually separate from the stablecoin. They're actually all different parts of the same thing. They're just, you know, the AMM is just the swap facility, whether it's Curve, which is the uh, minting and redeeming 
facility for Frax, FraxSwap, which is where Frax conducts monetary policy for FXS buybacks, or FraxLend, which is the leveraging and deleveraging uh, facility of Frax. They're all working together and as like one unit to increase the market share of Frax as a stablecoin. And that rings true as well for FPI. That rings true as well for FraxEth. Um, and so with FraxEth in particular, FraxEth is actually a uh, ETH pegged stablecoin. So Frax was the one, so Frax has this idea that Sam, actually Sam had this idea that he presented at ETH Denver this past year called stablecoin maximalism, which takes the uh, idea of the DeFi Trinity and abstracts it to all DeFi protocols. And it basically states that on a long enough time scale, all DeFi protocols converge to become stablecoins. And of all those stablecoins, all those stablecoins converge on the same universal design. And that universal design consists of the risk-free rate and then the uh, redemption swap facility. So for example, for USDC, what is the risk-free rate? It's T-bills. What is the swap facility? It's cash. For FraxEth, what is the risk-free rate? It's proof-of-stake validators. What is the swap facility? It's the FraxEth ETH curve pool. You can even take this to bridges themselves. So what is RAPDI? RAPDI, okay, what is the uh, swap, what is like, that, what could be the uh, you know risk-free rate of wrapped die? It's the DSR, it's the die savings rate, which is like one percent or two percent. And then what is the swap facility? Oh, it's where you like redeem, you know, die from the bridge. But but what I'm saying is like all stable, everything will become a stablecoin, and all stablecoins will have this universal structure. And the stablecoins that actually win, and DeFi protocols that actually win, will all have this structure. So with Frax ETH in particular, so that is. Uh, how Sam and like the Frax team are thinking about stablecoins and building stablecoins. I can go into, I can continue talking about like why Frax ETH has like grown faster than all the other LSDs combined. I can continue to talk about like FPI, its value prop and like where it's going from there. But um, before I go, like, does all that make sense? Uh, is there any place I lost you? No, I mean, you know, small monkey brain, but in general, it does make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess my question to you is like, what do you think of Curve's model? Um, and like, it's, you know, it sounds to me like there's some similarities there, but what do you think? I mean, obviously, it's, it's a Curve stablecoin or Curve as a protocol? Curve stablecoin. Curve stablecoin. Um, I think Curve stablecoin is really cool. And I'm in the camp that I want there to be a stablecoin renaissance and thousands, if not tens of thousands of stablecoins to come about in existence. And the uh, the fact that CRV USD exists confirms this idea of this, you know, stablecoin maximus argument that like on a long enough time scale, all DeFi protocols will become stablecoin. Hell, look at Aave and Go. It's just coming at it from a lending protocol perspective. Uh, we had on Curve Market Cap several months ago. We need to get him back on. But he was going over, you know, how CRV USD works with its Re automatic recollateralizing and decollateralizing. It sounds super innovative and really exciting. Um, definitely got to like look back on that podcast. But hell, um, the first million of CRV USD that was minted today, you know what the collateral was? It was SFRAX ETH. So love you know, it. You love you love to see it. And like I would just want to add that um, with Curve as a protocol, like Frax, how Frax like works as a stablecoin and is it has these things called. AMOs, automated market operations. And this is the equivalent to open market operations done by the Fed. So the Fed will take actions in the free market to make sure the US is in line with inflation, which is ironic enough. Frax will take actions on chain to make sure that Frax maintains a peg 
and they'll use protocols and money legos themselves to do that so with curve they have the curve ammo and so they own a bunch of their own liquidity they use the uscc collateral mint some fracks inject into the you know frac space pool and boom you have a bunch of curve liquidity they play some nice curve war flywheel games and they have deep 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 liquidity for you to uh make your trades monkey love it <laughs> yeah so that's yeah, how would you explain Frax and all this in your own words? No, no, no I, I, I think you nailed it. But something Monkey said right, right before you started on that was that he, it was always around him, but he never kind of took the chance to kind of dive in there. And I wanted to click, double click on that because as a trader, like what made FXS kind of like a, um, an easy one to just overlook rather than diving in? Good question. It, because Dave and I talked about this a, a while back. It was like FXS could have cured cancer and it would just not move, you know? <laughs> and I was just wondering, like, why is that? Like, what can we do to get traders more interested in FXS? Recently, we had the LSD narrative. That's kind of why, like, you've probably heard of it a lot more these past couple months than you've kind of ever did. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Like, the LSD narrative is was a powerful one. Um, and I think that, you know, personally, like, why have I like kind of let it fly by? You know, I'm one of those guys who, you know, I have a few things that I go very in depth on. Um, and, and, and kind of like it goes back to my original thesis, like know what you're buying, know why you're buying it. Like early buyers of Bitcoin who didn't understand it probably sold it. Early buyers of Bitcoin who understood what they had, they kept it. And so I think what it probably is, is that one you know, it's probably a little above my IQ, just to be like, perfectly honest, it's not something that I can innately fully grasp, like really easily um, and get confident. in. so that's probably a reason that I haven't invested the time. Uh, and then, you know, just like now the way I'm handling the market is I'm, I'm really just staying in such small corners uh, and staying with things I know well. Um, and that's just kind of what I do in, in a little bit more uh, tight market, if you will, or, you know, a market like this. So I think, it's kind of just risk aversion in the form of, you know, that's not really my expertise would, would be the simple answer. That's yeah, very fair. I think, I think that's a very common theme. And that's the reason why Dave and I want, wanted to kind of kick off this podcast to begin with. With Frax, it's just so complicated. And most people kind of stopped after Frax V1, where it's like, oh, 85% USDC, 15% FXS. Oh, we saw UST go 100% Luna and, you know, same, same, but similar, uh, same, same, but different. So they just kind of short it and just kind of fade it immediately. So Dave and I wanted to kick off this pod to really explain the intricacies and the nuances of how FXS and, and how the whole Frax ecosystem at large works. Cause it, it, once you kind of get it, you're like, oh, wow, like this thing needs to be a lot bigger. And it comes back to what you said about knowing your why, right? Like, like, why do you have a bag of this? And, you know, Dave and I are out here trying to spread like, like missionary style, one, one brain at a time, yeah. one nerd at a time. We're trying to snipe them all. Yeah. I call I, this well, like, I, yeah, <laughs> that's how you have to do it. And then you get a fan and then at the next ETH Tokyo, they're talking and they finally have that breakthrough moment with their buddy. And, you know, it's really hard to educate, you know, in this world, man, every project is trying to get yeah. their message and what they do in front of, you know, people's faces. Uh, and so I think like the bottom line is, is in something like Frax, which is, you know, so intricate and, and you know, somewhat unique in, in many ways, at least the summation of it is, 
you just have to like continue putting in the work over time and like eventually it becomes a household name and eventually like people become well aware of it but it's just them learning small bits of information over time you're gonna have your early people who jump in and obsess over it and after that it's just a much slower battle Um, this is the exact path that bitcoin and ethereum took like I'm sure we all have heard Bitcoin and Ethereum many, many times. And we're just like, I don't, I mean, I know for me personally, I was hearing it for years. I just like trying to learn about it, didn't get it, but it really took being around people around me who knew their shit and who believed in it and had their why already in place that I was able to instill my own why in this industry. And I think for that, it's whether it's like for crypto as a whole or whether it's that's for fracks, like that's what needs to, it just takes time. And in this like world of, you know, short-term attention and like, what's the hot meme coin? Not that I have anything against meme coins, but you know, this and that, it takes like a lot, <laughs> you know, the things that are like long tail term and, and last, um, you know, they take a little, little bit different, it's a little bit different level. Yeah. I mean, the one real, like, or I'm sorry, one of the real tailwinds you guys have is like just the, the FTX thing, the, the Silvergate bank thing. I mean, these are things that draw people away from, you know, just normal stable coins like Tether and whatever, and make people look at something like you guys and be like, you know, this is actually something I might be more comfortable with. And it's just a tailwind. It's something that'll get somebody on there and get them putting in the few hours they need to like really start to understand. Yeah. So I have another question. So outside of yourself, like, how do you think like your circles that you run in uh, view fracks and what is their sentiment about fracks? Do they know it well? Do they just think it's hot because other people think it's hot? You know, I might be biased just because like, you know, my circle and everybody knows it pretty well on like a personal level. Um, That being said, like of like the the real traders that I I talk to a lot, I really, you know, I might see them looking at the chart much, but I think it's still very like under under understood is that a is that possible under understood yeah it's, it's i don't it's you know, under squared stood under squared yeah. stood yeah but i think that like the bottom line is i mean clearly you guys are at what frax uh, usd is a, a billion dollars circulating right now mm-hmm. so like clearly there's a level of acceptance there amongst people who've put in the time and like i really do think that's that's kind of like the moat is getting to a billion that's that's the hard part um and so you know once you kind of hit this like critical mass which it seems like you guys are uh, I think people will open up to it a lot, but you know, who wants to really jump in that stable coin that's got 250 million circuit? There's just no risk reward, right? But once you start yeah. to get over a billion, once billion. you really start to get up there, um, people's just views change. And it's kind of ironic, you know, people won't ape that Ponzi at 50K market cap, but they will at 50 million, right? Like, it's just like this weird thing where it's implied risk or implied safety. Um, and for a stable coin, it's, it's a little more appropriate and it's a little more mm-hmm. true. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if this many people are using it, <laughs> there is a higher likelihood it's good. Um, but then again, you know, you still have things like Luna, which grow basically just off of, oh, I trust this guy who said this is good. Um, and so people are like, they always have their worry up uh, when it comes to things like, you know, decentralized stable. Coin. And, and yeah. Lucky, did, did you trade Luna? Like, were you around, like, you know, all that market at all, or did you kind of stay away? You know, I mean, look, this this goes back to like my, you know, why I I probably traded it like a couple times uh, in no significant way, um, and probably not even personally. That, that was probably kind of in like a prior job I had trading, but um, no, nah, man, I I really stayed away, and like I have 
I didn't like to tweet about it because you don't really want to, I don't really like fudding other people's bags. I'd rather FUD my own. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was also just like a really weird one that I put <laughs> my own bags, <laughs> but like, basically I tweeted like once and, and this was my rough thought on it the whole time. It was like, look, everybody throws around this statement. 20% is the risk-free rate. And I said, you guys think about that. Like why is USD? Like, why is the other risk-free rate? It's just, there's one risk-free 20% and everything else is so much lower. I don't need to understand that much to understand that there's something going on here, right? And like, for me, it's kind of, uh, it was that simple. It was like, look, I don't understand this. I kind of think I might understand it. That's not good. Um, not good. But also just like, if it's too good to be true, it is like 20% uh, on stables risk-free in that market. I knew it didn't exist. You know what I mean? You know, the, the whole hype, oh, go ahead, Kit. I just want to add one more point. So, so what did you trade, um, Monkey? Because I feel like Luna was one of the names during that period of the market that everybody kind of had to, to ape in. Yeah, I don't know, honestly. It's, um, I don't know. It's hard to think, but I'll tell you what, around that time, I mean, Luna kind of unwound in this current downtrend that we've been in since, you know, a year and some change ago. And I mean, one thing that, that like probably one of my biggest uh, successes, like learning and trading is knowing when to just sit on your hands. And I've done more Ooh. of that in the last year uh, than, than anything really. So the reality is I may have been trading something. I may have really not been trading anything. Um, I was in cash and kind of just chilling for a while. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I believe know? like, mm -hmm. go ahead. I just want to ask, how did you know that it was time to sit on hands? Because I think that would be a very valuable lesson for everyone. You know, I'm here. trying to think, but I think like, you know, the way that I always like, things got very like euphoric and this is kind of maybe like a weirder, like a flimsy answer, but it almost always goes this way where like, look, I'll ride the trend, I'll be longing. And then I'll take like one really bad hit and I'll look at the market and I'll be like, it looks like shit now. And I'll be like, you know what? Like, I don't know. It's, it's really a gut feeling, but I can remember like there was just this one dump where we had a pullback and then we busted through that low. And I was like, all right, now this whole thing kind of at that 60, 64 K mark kind of looks like it might just be a failure. And let me just like chill out for a bit. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you think about like historical returns in financial markets, people are thrilled with eight or 10%. If you're a decently good crypto trader, you can do far better than that. Uh, and so if you've had a great year, there's no shame in, in pulling out, um, you know, but it's one of those things where it really takes self-control and discipline. And like, I'm a big believer, part of becoming a good trader is not like learning some sort of secret sauce. Like there's not this one moving average or this one signal that's like, just like the key to unlimited wealth. Uh, it's more like becoming confident, knowing what you don't know uh, and becoming confident and just like not being a part of it, missing a rally. You're going to miss a rally. Like you just have to, uh, be confident in yourself enough to miss a rally and know that like you have your game plan, you have your, your skills and like in the long run, you'll be successful. You know, this doesn't just apply to trading. This applies to like all of crypto. Like you could be like on your hustle, being an NFT artist or on your hustle, like working on a product, being a builder or dev, like heads on a project and you see like a certain narrative pickup scheme, like how it's very easily to get distracted, but just know that your time it's not now, but it will come later. Just know when to sit on your hands. You don't have to catch every rally. I think that's some really wise words. Yeah, and I mean, look, 
capital preservation, like well, if you want to make money, you need to keep your money. You know what I mean? And, and keeping your money is a winning trade. Um, and yeah, <laughs> that's it. I, I think that like, that's really something you learn over time. And I think most people in crypto have made a bunch of money and lost it so many times. And you start to realize like, wow, if I would have just like been happy and like taken some warning signs, um, suddenly you could be at the bottom of the bear market with most of your bull market stack. And that's a pretty you know, good place to be in. Yeah. I wanted to go back to uh, us talking about Luna and UST, not because of Luna and UST, but it was the first time I really saw the stablecoin narrative, t- not just take off in crypto, but take off in the mainstream news. I remember seeing articles written about Luna with Frax mentioned in it and the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg. It was like, de- like, it is possible for like a stablecoin narrative to take off again. I don't know what it will take for that to get there, but like it showed like, I think, I feel like stable coins are this, like, you know, like this Holy grail, this like, you know, philosopher's stone of DeFi, like, you know, whoever can like pull off the uh, decentralized scalable stable coin that maintains its peg, you know, there are rewards to be reaped. And so, you know, what do you think? I guess we've like talked about this a bit before, but like, what do you think will like, do you, do you see that narrative like stablecoins pick, being picked up again like next cycle in a few months in a few years like do you think it's possible I think like it's it's one of the most powerful ones because like if you can store your wealth and, and make it productive in a decentralized manner that's that's like a global thing and that, that's like a huge huge uh, innovation and I think that like the reason that Luna was able to like really just skyrocket not even in price but just in you know, like media attention is because it was seemingly working um and growing so quick allegedly yeah. working yeah exactly allegedly working but i also think like that really damaged confidence in things like that but you know what like if i'm sitting and i'm frax i don't necessarily want to have a luna type run like i want to build over no. time and no. i want i want a slow growth i want a sustainable growth and blah 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 so I think that like um, Luna got that attention for the wrong reasons. But if you just look at like banking is just a huge issue and, and storing wealth is just a huge issue. So many places in the world. You know, Dave, you were in um, Colombia when I was in Buenos Aires and I saw inflation firsthand. And it, like if these people just yeah. had a way to store wealth, they'd be so far. Oh, I think off. I was in Brazil. You were okay, in, there you uh, go. So oh, this is in January. Yeah. 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 Oh, sh- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. but regardless, it can definitely get that mass hype, um, but it's going to be tough now because people's uh, guard is going to be up for a long time regarding things like that. Yeah, you make a really good point about your how you present yourself to the world attracts your community. Like Luna attracted literal lunatics and moon boys was in the fucking name in <laughs> both ways. And it like had this like community that was like short term minded, short term gains. Not everyone in the Luna community, but like a lot of the late people. Um, and um, but like with someone like Frax, Frax has been a you know like steady grind, steady building, and has attracted this gigabrain community. But like yeah, this like this we we talk about this like mode of it being hard to understand, but it kind of filters people that do understand it. They really fuck with it, and they stay and they stick around. Yep. Um, and yeah. I always say that like user experience is usually the last thing, right? Like making it really understandable and easy to use is usually the last thing. So like 
That's mm -hmm. like, that's not a reason not to be bullish on something because it's not easy to understand yet or easy to use yet. That's just like, look, the product is being built in one day. That's, that's the easiest thing. To, like when the time is right. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. now, I mean, yeah, I think um, you guys are on the right track and well on your way. Yeah. And I think we have well, time for one. Yeah, the go ahead. Other thing I was going to say, sorry, I, I blanked out there for a second and forgot, but something like Luna also, it couldn't have happened without like a, um, a narcissistic, just like leader who's willing to like really put his name on it. Um, and like, Bill, like, I, I don't know who that would be for Frax. You guys don't have one, I'm assuming, you know, and like, I think that that's that good. Had, <laughs> that's, that's good. That's very good. Yeah. Like, I think that that had a lot to do with it. Um, the fact that, you know, you have a guy who's willing to get up there, preach lies, like with a smile on his face, um, you know, targeted trolling to like people who speak ill on his, you know, cult, basically. Um, I think that played a big part. Yeah, um, I want to get it. I have one more question before we get into our lightning round because we have to wrap up. So how are you positioning yourself within the next few months? And like, where's your portfolio at now? Like, do you have a gut feeling of where the market's going to turn? Um, you know, I think honestly, like chop is, is probably what I'm expecting more than anything. I, um, I think that like in the current macro situation, and the reality is like, you know, I know a little bit about banking. I, I, I used to like trading some equities. I'm not an expert, um, but the macro matters. And so I think that that'll have kind of a, a lot to do with whether we chop or we go more down or, or whatever. I mean, I'm not necessarily bearish, but it's not easy mode. And I, I kind of am trading one or two ways generally. It's like, it's, e it's either easy mode or it's not easy mode. Um, and in easy mode, we all kind of know how to trade that. Like you're getting long, you're getting long on, the hot ball of money type theory, I think, which like CMS came up with. Uh, but for now, like for me, it's I'll always hold some majors, right? Like I just won't really sell those. You have to ply them out of my hands. Um, but then there's just like a very few niche type things uh, that I'm just kind of well informed on and I'm bullish on and um, things like that that I'm invested in or trading. But, you know, it's not necessarily like top 50 alts. Got and to, to follow up on that, during this part of the not easy mode, how are you thinking about risks? What do you mean by that? Like, like are you having much tighter stops? If you do use stops, are you greatly reducing leverage? Do you have like very much reduced uh, time duration of holding? Like, are, so really like, what are yeah, I mean, so... When it comes to like risk in the general sense, size is like, is really like my favorite lever for risk, like tightening up stops mm -hmm. or something like that. Uh, that's not really the way that I ever approach it. Um, so yeah, that, that would kind of be my answer there. Size matters. Size matters. Size is really the size only thing that matters. matters, you know, like leverage is irrelevant. Size is really what matters. Um, in the end, you're putting on exposure. Um, you know, assuming you don't get liquidated, but like size is what matters. And in the end, like that's always how I'm calculating my risk. Um, is your size but, size monkey? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Right. <laughs> no, Allegedly. Monkey. Yeah. I, I think you, you, you nailed it. Um, my, my mentor, he said, the only thing that you control is, is your size. That's it. That's after you put that on is everything else is pretty much kind of out. So, you know, it, it's very true that size is basically the only risk parameter that one can really control. So Yeah. And then when it comes to like, 
shorter term stuff like you know there's maybe 10 days a year that i'm really 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 in the order books um and, and you know that's like your ftx crashing or whatever uh and funny enough we do get like 10 of those damn days a year in crypto it seems like yeah um so on days like that um like in a market like this yeah my goal is like in and out because it's low liquidity uh and you're almost like pseudo market making right like you're very basically just buying support and resistance uh, so if I'm short-term trading, yeah, like I'm trying to get in, I'm trying to get out. Uh, and if I'm long-term, I'm probably just like smaller size. And obviously it just depends on a lot of things. Um, and then just being more picky, I guess would just be the last thing. Cool. Cool. Now, fellas, it is time for the lightning round. So at the end of every episode, we like to do this, you know, get to know you a little bit more. Kit, yep. why don't you kick us off? All right, Monkey, this is a quick and easy one. What was your virgin crypto experience? When did you first touch the blockchain? But sex don't count. <laughs> I think like one of the first, at least the first memorable one would be buying Verge. 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 We try to go on Pornhub or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, this was luckily yeah. before. If I bought it that time, I would have probably left crypto. <laughs> <laughs> I did buy it at that time and I got so wrecked. I got so uh, wrecked. It was early in my days. It's the ticker XVG. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I learned about it off like YouTube or something. Totally like the wrong reasons. Uh, but that was uh, definitely a big one. Nice. And, uh, and then second one is, what is your favorite off-chain touch grass activity? Oh, you know, recently I've gotten a lot back into golf but overall like traveling. Um, so it just depends on like where I am or whatever. I love to snowboard. Um, yeah. Cool. What would be some of your, some advice for your younger self? Patience, man. Like you don't need to get rich, uh, like this year, even, um, the market's going to be there. So don't look for something that's not there. Uh, and like, really, I would just keep saying that like over and over. <laughs> if, you could kind of choose your career path today and it can't be in crypto and it can't be in finance. What would that career path be? You know, I think it would be cool to, um, you know, so sometimes I just like spend time on YouTube, right. And I end up on just like the most random stuff. Somehow I found a few of like a few videos of this car shop in Dubai. And it's just like exotic cars. Uh, and these guys basically like just buy them and you can tell they're like, they're collectors, they're self and like, their kind of like showroom is just like also a sales room. So I think like um, buying and selling luxury goods, like even like a, a really high end pawn shop, I think that'd be really cool. Just like market making luxury goods. right? And one last question, who would you want us to have on next? Who would you recommend to come on Flywheel? Interesting. What type of person? Because I, I have like so many friends who do so many different things. Um. I just want someone to shoot the shit with, and that's interesting, and that would be open to listening about fracks. Hmm. Let me think. You know, so maybe it's like a little bit of a like a different person than you would have on there, but my buddy Evan Sheriffs, and he's mostly like an NFT guy, but he uh, used to be kind of a board ape guy, and now he's like working a lot with the youths and does a lot of cool stuff on like the tech side of like oh, utilizing NFTs. I have a youth. There you go. Yeah, no, he's, oh, <laughs> yeah. he's super cool, and I feel like, 
he's, you know, in kind of like the education side of things. And so you guys could probably have a cool conversation about like educating people uh, in general. And um, also just like really cool dude. Eric Sheffer. Evan Sheriffs. Evan Evan Sheriff. I have to ask you for his name after the show. I I really budged his name there. No, you're Um, good. Yeah, I'll get it to you. I'll send you his Twitter. Okay, dope. Uh, Monkey, thank you a lot. Thank you a bunch for coming on. This was a a really fun episode. Really great conversation. And uh, you know, we'll check back in uh, in the future and see where where we're all at and if we're still alive or you know thriving or dealing with the chop. By then, I'll be a power user of Frax. But no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll give us a proper review. It was my pleasure, you guys. I appreciate you having me. And uh, yeah, let's do it again soon down the line. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Flywheel Postgame Show. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, here with Capital K and Sam. And this time around, we went into the jungle and we found... A monkey with eyeglasses, Monkey Rothschild, uh, he was chilling at Jekyll Island with some homies. <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop there. Anyways, uh, guys, Capital K, Kit, I'll start with you. Thoughts on this episode? I, I think he was actually a very thoughtful um, investor slash trader, and he definitely He's not like one of those erratic um, uh, momentum, not momentum, was adrenaline chasing trader who zooms in on the one minute chart, max leverage, and just punts, right? You know, he he definitely has his, if the market doesn't give me anything, I'm not going to do anything type of You know what I can say about him? He's someone that knows his weaknesses. He's someone that knows his weaknesses Mm -hmm. and works around them in his trading strategy. And I Mm -hmm. respect that. Yeah. 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 So what did you think? Uh, yeah, it was, it was nice hearing. Uh, you know, I didn't know too much about the Wasis coming into this. Uh, I'm still trying to figure it out. You know, I've seen a, there's like a cafe or like a shop or something. Is that, is that his thing? Yeah. The Wasi verse. The Wasi verse. Yeah. So I see the pictures of the shop online and they have their whole like mm-hmm. toy line or like, Cute. yeah, these like little Plushies. brand collection now. Plush, yeah. Yeah, no, they're, they're just a part of the, the culture. So I was honored when I got one. I'm like, damn, I, I'm getting a Wasi. Whoa. Thanks, <laughs> and, <laughs> um, that's cool that he has a, a cultural project like that. Um, you know, getting that out there, getting the good word. And, you know, it's it's just like a fun little thing and like a fun little meme that we have in, a, in our little corner of the internet, Wasis and stuff. They're like the neutrals of crypto Twitter. They're not exactly like bored apes. And they're not as edgy as like Miladies or something. <laughs> Do you identify as a Wasi Dave? Uh, I identify as Sylvester Stallone. Okay. <laughs> Solid. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, Kit, um, what, Wait, was Dave, one... what, was, what did you think what about was... Monkey's interview? Um, I, I really, I liked it a lot. Like, you know, I've met Monkey in person a few times before, so... You know, we really, you know, hit it off. We vibed. He passed the vibe check. I'm like, oh, I think he would make a good guest. Um, and then after Tokyo, I just asked him, like, yeah, we should come on the show. Um, I know he'd be a different flavor of guests, especially from our past few weeks of builders having a trader on. But it was good to get someone that actually observes the market as from a trader perspective and could, like, you know, you know, we could peel back into his mind and see, like, how he thinks, how he views the market, what's his strategy, 
um, you know, what does it take for him to cross the threshold for to consider something like Frax per se? Um, so I, I just had really a lot of fun that conversation. Um, you know, I felt like that episode flew by. You guys yeah, are doing a bit of educating about Frax during the show. Yeah, I, think- I, I, I really like doing that as well. Did you win him over? Yeah. I, well, I, I, I know I for sure it. that I edged him in the right direction. I pointed, you know, pushed him more. He's like, oh, like, I think, like, the fact that a flywheel exists and, like, something like this exists for, like, one protocol, like, Frax really speaks for itself mm-hmm. of, like, getting people, like, wow, if, like, flywheel exists for Frax, like, there must really be something there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, I guess it's it's always nice to talk to crypto people who are like adjacent but not like deeply involved yet. Yeah, no, I would say he's involved, but he's just he has a trader background. Um yeah. He's he only makes I, but he, yeah, go ahead. And I I just wanted to add the reason why I liked bringing these traders on and kind of talking to them a bit more and educating them per se is you know, like price is obviously a byproduct of how great the team is shipping and, and everything of that nature. But there are still obviously market factors and there are certain market participants that just kind of needs to know, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like um, FXS could definitely get more love there in terms of just people, you reach out to market the participants knowing more. Yeah, right. You know, we're known in the builders community like very well, right? Everybody wants to partner with us. Everybody is partnered with us. But like it kind of in the trader side of things and, and, and it's just we're not popular yet. So that's kind yeah. of like I, I want to bring on more traders, the more the better and kind of help shift that narrative. I think that is something that we can have a real impact on the charts, too. Right. In the hearts and the charts. So the hearts and the charts. Yeah, I like that. Hearts um, and the charts. Is there a point in the episode where like you wish like, hey, like. I wanted more. I wish I could more of that because that was a shorter interview than usual. Yes, I know. I wanted the risk part. I wanted to get because he's so thoughtful, right? And, and he he's so well rounded too with his tradfi background and he, his banking friends and his banking experience. I'm like, how are you thinking about risk at this specific moment in time, where you mm. know there's there's this regulatory overhang mixed with this banking crisis mixed with mm-hmm. kind of the Fed potentially, but on the other side, the Fed potentially pivoting or pausing, and then you know. You know, crypto kind of in in, in this state right now, uh, uh, post all of the biggest tail risks that we could ever imagine. Like, how is he thinking about it? Everything I felt like we got cut a little short here. Yeah, but hey, we'll have him back on again. Um, what about you, Sam? Was there like a part of the episode where like, hey, I wish I heard some more? Uh, yeah, towards the end, I think. I mean, we we cut it short for uh, the live stream that we ran. Uh, on Curve USD that day, but uh, I think we were starting to really get in some good stuff towards the end uh, when he was talking about like the risk stuff, like you said, yeah, um, and just also like positioning and kind of how he felt like rolling into different cycles and stuff. Is there anything in the episode you guys disagreed with? Mm. You can say no, or you can say no opinion. I don't know. You know, when it comes to trading, it's more like a lot of it is like you're, you form your own opinions and then you figure out how to act on them. Yeah. Safety. I think the, I, I think the one thing that I did like what she talked about was like the only where maybe this was you kit. You said like the only thing that you can control is your size. Right. Oh, you said that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, that was like, uh, that's yeah. The risk question. That was the risk question. And yeah. 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 What should we name this episode? (laughs) 
how to control your massive size. <laughs> <laughs> Monkey Rothschild. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, that was a lot of fun, um, yeah. that episode. I just enjoy, I, you know, he was a good guest. He was a good guest. We, you know, we talked about trading. We talked about, you know, traveling, um, you know, because he is a, a fellow uh, traveler on the circuit that I am currently on. Speaking of which, today I saw some dude with, like, literally, like, like 12 wristbands from like all the crypto conferences and Rave's and stuff. I'm just oh, like, goodness. he was in crypto nomads too. I'm just like, wow, that's literally me, but I just don't have all my wristbands, but they were all like kind of dirty. Yeah, I was going to say, how know. hygienic is that? I don't know. It reminded me of festival culture. Like when I went to a bunch of yeah. music festivals and people just don't take off their bands. It was the same thing. I, 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 I adore it. I'm like, wow, this is, we're really building a culture here. Really building a cult of these crypto uh, Speaking cult. of culture, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't spell culture without cult. And I feel like with uh, Monkey, he he's also a man of the crypto culture. I mean, he started Wasiverse, obviously. And I, I wanted to dive in like a bit more on that. I was like, how does mm-hmm. being kind of in tune with crypto culture kind of helps him on his trading side? Does it help him kind of predict narratives as incoming, help him spread narratives that he wants, like, you know, things like that. It's probably a good sentiment gauge. Mm. Yeah. True. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. we talked about that with the Wasi getting abused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts, guys? Yeah. Enjoyed it. Any final enjoyed thoughts for it. you? Uh, no, but if you enjoyed that episode... And want to enjoy future episodes with us at Flywheel? Make sure you hit that bell button to get all the notifications straight to your YouTube page. Subscribe to us. Give us a like. Leave us a comment down below. Do you love us? Hate us? Lukewarm? Luke cold? Let us know. Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker. Fly on over to Twitter and follow us on Twitter at Flywheel DeFi. Get over to Telegram. Join the conversation at Flywheel DeFi. Follow me on Twitter at DeFiDave22. Follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And I'm at traders underscore insight. And we'll see you next week. Everything said on this episode is not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly for educational purposes and is not in investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice whatsoever. Please talk to your accountant and do your own research.